Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Psalm 107 tells a story. It starts off by saying, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. And I wonder if there was a psalm that was written for Dave if the words of Psalm 107 would actually sum up his story in poetic form. It says this from verse 17. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Wonder if 60 kilos in the gutter in the valley is actually what it looks like to loathe food and draw near the gates of death. But then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and He saved them from their distress. He sent out His Word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His unfailing love and His wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of His works with songs of joy. I want to start this morning by suggesting something to you. I want to suggest that God's vision of your life is even greater than the vision you have of your own life. Let me say that again. I wonder if God's vision for your life is even greater than the vision you have of your own life. Now, I'm not talking about dreams, hopes, desires, things that we're going to fulfil. I'm just talking about what life can look like for you as someone that God has created. You see, I turned my hand to horticulture for a few moments this week. I don't mind getting in the garden. I don't do it that often and I'm not that good at it as corners of my garden would show. But I do know when a plant is healthy. I went and bought two plants this week. One which I learnt what it needs to be nurtured. And this plant, which I should have learnt the name of, but I haven't. It's obviously a hanging plant. Our neighbours have one of these. It grows crazy. And if anyone would like this at the end of the service, you can come and I would love to gift it to you. But this is what a healthy plant looks like. There's green shoots, there's new growth, there's pretty flowers, there's flowers yet to be in bloom. Everything about this plant looks healthy. It's been planted in healthy soil, it's been nurtured, it's been watered, it's been put out in the sun because apparently this plant loves full sun. Same plant, probably cut from the same vine, placed in the same pot, but not nurtured in the same way. Same age, was the same size, same life cycle, same parent, but not healthy. The leaves are drooping, they're, not, they're, they're flimsy, the flowers are dying, there's no new growth to be spoken of. But I wonder for some of us if this is how we see life. This represents our life. We look at it and we think, It's not completely dead. It's not completely ugly. There are some signs of life and health and they may not be wonderful and great, but they're there. And I wonder if some of us have just decided that this is the best that life has to offer for us. That in the midst of what we live and the midst of some of the experiences that we have, we've just determined that this is as good as life can be. I think God has a vision for our life that's greater than the one sometimes that we know of ourselves. And the vision that God has for your life is of a life that is flourishing. The vision that God has for your life 
is of a life that is flourishing. Now, before you get concerned that I'm going to go on some crazy trajectory and preach a whack formula for prosperity, today I'm not. Because even though I reckon that life looks like that for some of us, when I talk about flourishing, I want to suggest that flourishing is the place where we function as God has intended us to function. In the things that we can control, and life is full of a whole bunch of stuff that we can't control. But when the psalmist talks to their story, he says some became fools through what? Their rebellious ways. In other words, the things that they owned and the things that they controlled, they became fools in that and so they suffered many afflictions. I want to suggest if we align ourselves to the things of God, God's intention for us is to flourish. And the biblical picture of what flourishing looks like doesn't just take root in the here and now. It's actually a picture that was before any of us were born. It's a picture of what God has in store for all of us into eternity one day. And to get a full picture of flourishing, we need to go back to the very beginning. And in the very beginning of the Scripture, where it tells the story of God the Creator investing the best of His creative intent into this creation and into you as the pinnacle of His creation, the Bible tells us a story of what flourishing looks like. And in those very first pages of Scripture, it says this, God intended for you to live in harmony with Him. When you flourish, you live in complete harmony with God, your Creator. And the original story of Genesis tells us that to flourish, you live in complete harmony with others. There was relational wholeness. There was a spiritual wholeness. There was a relational wholeness, person to person. And thirdly, there was a wholeness in the way that people related. The people related. I haven't done night duty. I have no excuse. There was harmony in how people related with the created order, the world that God had created. And that was the world that God created, a place where we were designed to flourish. The biblical description, I've used this verse many times, but the biblical description comes in Genesis 2.25. It talks about Adam and Eve, the first humans, and it said this, before sin entered the world, they were naked and they knew no shame. Now don't think about, don't get all bad visual pictures here, right? Because I think it's deeper than just a physical reality. What it's saying is there was nothing that needed to be hidden. There was nothing that needed to be hidden. Not just physically, but emotionally, relationally. There was nothing that needed to be hidden. They were completely exposed, is what the Bible's telling us, and they knew no shame. The minute we know we've done something that we know is against the way we were created to be, shame comes into our story. And so if you look at the first chapters of Genesis, when it tells the story of creation and then the story of sin coming into the human story, what's the first thing that Adam and Eve do? They find coverings for their shame. You see, God created us to flourish, but sin entered our story. And if you ask the question of what was the sin that Adam and Eve committed in the very beginning, we could say, well, they were disobedient and they did what God told them not to do. I think if we dig into the root of the sin, the original sin, it was that Adam and Eve decided that they knew better than God. That's the root of the sin, that they knew better than the Creator. 
And so when God had said, live life like this and you will flourish, they said, well, God, you don't know everything. We're going to live like, like this and we reckon we're still going to flourish. So the original sin was, yes, they did what they were told not to do, but it was deeper than that. It was actually an attitude that said, God, you've got a way of doing things, but we know better. I still think if we write up a list on a whiteboard today of every sin that you could possibly commit and every label we might put on it, most of it still comes down to the same thing. It's us saying to God, we know better. We know better. You might have a way that you think things should be done, but God, we've got our own way of doing things and we don't need your instruction. We don't need your oversight. We don't need your input. We know better. Another, a more Christian term that we could throw on this is the term self-righteousness. What it says is we don't need God. We're all right in our own strength. We don't need Him, His love, His grace, His salvation. We got this all figured out for ourselves. But as the psalmist says, many in their rebellious ways, that is what flourishing looks like. But God's intent for you is much greater. It's an intent where you flourish in every possible sense. And it's at this point I want to just give us a couple of examples as my finger gets caught in the pot about what it looks like to flourish. Because I still think the biggest challenge for most of us is coming to a point of declaring that God knows better, that we've tried to do things our own way and it hasn't worked out for us. Yet still all of us battle day for day to decide whether we've actually got things sorted out and God doesn't know best in. So let me pick on a couple of things this morning where I can use as an example about what it means to flourish. Let me talk about rest for a moment. Let me talk about rest, time off. You see, God from the very beginning determined that the way you were created required you to take some time to rest. It was actually built into the very fabric of creation where God himself rested. Creation happened in the work sense in six days, but creation wasn't six days, it was a seven day experience. And the seventh day, God didn't do anything, but still it was part of what creation looked like. Built into the very fabric of creation was the need for rest. Fast forward a significant amount of time and God takes these group of people, the Israelites, who've lived in slavery for 400 years and he gathers them together and he says, okay, I wanna set out some rules for how you should live. We know them as the 10 commandments. And he said, you guys have lived as slaves. You've just done what everyone else has told you. You're now gonna form a new community. So I'm gonna be really gracious and give you some rules to help you do that. Don't ever think of the law of God as diminishing. The law of God is actually about flourishing. And so God says to people that didn't know how to organise themselves or do relationship or look after each other, here's some laws for how you're going to function best. And one of the things he says is this, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days, God made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but He rested on the seventh day. In other words, if it's good enough for God to do it, it's even better for you to do it. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Jesus demystifies this a little bit because the word Sabbath seems like a word that we use in church a lot, but 
Jesus actually says this when people were debating about the Sabbath. He says, the Sabbath was not something God created for man to serve it. The Sabbath was something God created to serve man. In other words, what Jesus says is this, that the whole concept of taking a day off, that is God's gift to you. So what's the Bible tell us? When it comes to rest, that the way we flourish in life is that we build in a regular rhythm of rest. Think about how good a rule this is that God put in His Scripture. Take a day off. Anyone, I reckon that's something worth listening to. Just have a day off. Anyone that complains when they see me walking around in my boardies and my T-shirt on the weekend, guess what? Straight from the Scripture, people take a day off. <laughs> Don't argue with me, argue with the Word. You see, God's intent for us is to flourish. And because he knows how we created, one of the ways that we flourish is we rest. That's God's narrative. You know what culture's narrative says? We want to celebrate busyness and we want, to, we want to make sure that you're available as often as we need and as often as you're required. And so we, especially, I don't want to stereotype people, some of us blokes, we puff our chest out and we get together and when we catch up with each other, we don't talk about our days off. We kind of compare how much work we've done, how busy we are, how many hours we put in last week, how late we stayed up last night and just how much we got going on. And now don't think that God's intent is an intent of laziness because it said He worked hard for six days and He took a day off. But some of us have lost that rhythm completely. You see, we've told God actually, God, I know you took a day off when you created things and I know you told us that we should take a day off, but God, if you just understood how busy I am and how much I have to get through and how many people depend on me and how much things are gonna fall over if I don't work today and I just gotta spend a couple of hours on my emails when I get home from church and I know my family will be all right, we'll catch up in a couple of months' time, I booked a holiday for them, I just gotta work, I gotta stay busy because if I don't keep on top of things, guess what? Guess what? If you don't keep on top of things, the world won't fall apart. So when it comes to rest, God says, take time, rest, replenish, rejuvenate. It's my gift to you. It's not just about doing nothing. It's about reconnecting with others. It's about reconnecting with your family. It's about reconnecting with me. Because if you live a story that has no room to stop, That's not how you flourish best. But we still like to tell God the ways that we flourish. So some of you need to dig your family member in the ribs today and say you need to get this thing in balance because right now you are so busy but what I see is you're not flourishing. God's design for you is to flourish. Let me pick on another one, generosity. What's the scripture say about generosity? 1 Timothy 6, 17. This is God's principle for flourishing. Command those who are rich in this present world. Spoken on this passage here before and I don't have time to get into it, but if you look at international statistics, everyone in this room probably sits in the character of rich in this present world. So command everyone at Gateway Ormo not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous 
and willing to share. So command those who are rich not to put their hope in wealth. That's the God principle for flourishing. What's our culture say? Look after number one. Make sure that you're all set up. Make sure that your future's all determined. Make sure that you've got a great retirement plan. Make sure that you sort yourself out so that you're comfortable to the day that you pass and then have plenty to pass on to the next generation. Now, I'm not saying there's not some wise financial management in that. There is, and there's some things that we have to take care of. This is not uh, an encouragement for reckless living. But what God says is generosity is not about you looking after number one and no one else. But we live in a culture that teaches us that we should look after number one. And we live in a culture that tells us that our hope comes from the things that we have. Don't we? We live in a culture that says, if you've got a healthy bank balance and you've paid off your house and you've got plenty of possessions and you can ride the next financial crisis, well, you've made it. So our culture says, put your hope in wealth. But God says, if you want to flourish, don't put your hope in wealth, but put your hope and your trust in God. And if you happen to be someone who has wealth, well, guess what? Be rich in good deeds, be generous, be willing to share. See, there's a picture of what God says it looks like to flourish. But our culture says, oh, don't listen to that. Look after yourself and if you've got any loose change and someone comes to your door, just drop it in the bucket for them. God never teaches loose change generosity. God teaches go sell everything, give it to the poor and then come follow me type generosity. And it's the people that take his command seriously that actually get to experience what it is to flourish. See, here's the crazy thing about God's way. It doesn't make sense in human terms. But his wisdom transcends our understanding. It transcends all of our good education at times. He has the great wisdom of many ages. And so he says, command those who are rich not to put their hope in wealth, but to put their hope in God. Let me talk about one more. I want to talk about uh, relationships, especially sexuality. And it's not something we talk about here in church a lot, but young people, I want to talk a little bit to you today because some of you right now are in a space where you're making some big decisions about your future and what it looks like. You know what the Bible teaches us about sex? It teaches us that God created it and it was created to be good. The church, we have to find a better narrative for this because people look at God and the church, you know what they say? It's just what they're against. But you know what the biblical vision for healthy sex looks like? That it's shared, that it's intimate, that it's mutually respectful and gratifying, but that all those things are found best within a long-term committed marriage relationship. That's what the Bible teaches. It doesn't say sign yourself up for a life of misery. It says actually, no, no, God created something really good that He wants you to flourish in. And life and family is going to flourish if you sit within God's design and intention for you. But you know, many people have said, no, God is outdated. He's on the wrong side of history. He doesn't know what he's talking about. We're going to do things our own way. And no one has the right to tell me how I should do things and how I should use my body. The cultural narrative says this, whatever makes you feel good, whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it, it's your body and it's your choice. But we have a culture full of people with lots of sexual connection, but no experience of intimacy. And anyone that's experienced intimacy knows that it is a gift from heaven that cannot be found in any cheap experience. We've got a culture full of people that are seeking acceptance and value through offering themselves in varieties of ways, yet they find themselves lonely and isolated. 
We have a culture full of people that are chasing pleasure without being able to experience the freedom that comes from being fully loved, fully accepted and fully free to enjoy this gift of God without being judged on effort or performance or what you look like that day. See, God's design for you was a design that was designed to make you flourish. It was never a design to make you not enjoy life. But we keep wanting to tell God that we know better. But this is where our better so often leads us. Not to a place of flourishing, but to a place where we learn to accept some form of life and health. But we have no concept that God's desire for us is not this, but is that is of fruitfulness, is of new life, is of growth, is of budding flowers, is of green leaves, is of potential for a healthy and a long future. That is God's design for us. It's a design to make us flourish. Yet so often we look at the things of God and we say, God, You've created things that just restrict us. God has never created things to restrict you. He created things to allow you to live in freedom so you become the person that He created you to be. God's design is never to pin you down or hold you down or hold you back or make you experience less of life. God is actually the giver of all life. And so when the Bible says that Jesus came so that you might have life, it doesn't say and life partially. It says, no, Jesus came that you might have life and what? Life to the full. That's the picture of the Scripture is that when we align ourselves to the things of God, we flourish. Now, sometimes the things of God don't make sense to us. Sometimes the things that God calls us to do don't make sense to us. Sometimes the boundaries that God puts in place don't make sense to us. And sometimes we say, well, God, this feels all right. How can it be bad? God, I can't see who this is hurting. How can it be bad? God, this is really not, this is just me that's gonna suffer the consequences and I can't see the consequences. But I wanna encourage you that those of us that are committed to living the Christian life, to following the way of Jesus, some days we're called to trust Him even when it doesn't make sense even when it doesn't make sense. But the heart of God is this, that you would flourish and experience life and live life to the full. I'm sure David would be really happy to talk to you about some of the choices and how it doesn't lead to a life that looks like this. 60 kilos, not eating, lying in the gutter, in the valley is not a flourishing life. He's still awake, mate. You were doing incredibly well. I must be preaching all right today. Let me check out the rest of the night. See, God wants us to flourish and sometimes the things that He asks us to do don't make sense. But He tells us because He knows us and He loves us and He's created us and he knows how we flourish best. So the psalmist writes, some became fools through their rebellious ways. In other words, some became fools because they told God that he didn't know the best way, that they knew better. So some became fools and they suffered affliction because of their iniquities. Now sometimes we walk through some stuff in life and we suffer in life and it's not God's fault, it's because of the dumb choices we've made. And some days we just gotta own it. It's not God's fault. As Dave said, we have free choice. It's one of the gifts that God has given us. They loathed all food and they drew near the gates of death. 
death. But then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he said, go away. No, they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. The psalmist gives us a really simple poetic roadmap to a flourishing life. He says, in the depth of their affliction, in the depth of the consequence of their choices, they cried out to God. And the first step to actually moving away from our broken, rebellious, self-righteous, telling God that we know better life, starts with a thing that we call confession and repentance. Again, words that you don't hear that often probably outside this place. So what's it mean? It's to sit down for a couple of hours with your dad, your heavenly dad, and just to lay it all out. You well, Dave, to do it in three hours. But, but confession is actually just coming clean. Nothing you've done that's going to surprise God and nothing you've done that someone hasn't done before you. But confession is the first point to experiencing forgiveness because confession is the point of ownership. Remember, they, they suffered affliction because of whose rebellious ways? Their rebellious ways. Some of us, the, the roadmap to healing starts with actually owning our stuff. One of the scourges of our own experience is that by human nature, we're really good at finding other people to blame. You notice in the very beginning of Scripture, when sin came into the picture, the first thing they did was sow fig leaves and Adam did what? He blamed. We're really good at blaming. Well, I'm here because, you know, mum and dad didn't do a good job when I was young or, you know, we were really poor when I was growing up or someone hurt me or went to a church and they didn't look after me. All of us are really good at telling everybody else why it's their fault, why we're where we are. But the roadmap to healing is a place of actually coming clean and saying, God, let me own my stuff. So the psalmist says, I cried out to the Lord in my trouble. Confession is acknowledging it, repenting of it, telling God you're sorry and deciding to align yourself to something different. So the step one to healing is the place of confession and repentance. And maybe this morning, that's the message that you need to hear. There's some stuff going on in your life that's not flourishing and you've been telling God for too long that you know better than Him and you've made some really dumb choices or you're in the middle of making some really dumb choices. It starts with us owning it. But the psalmist points us to something else that comes through in the Scripture time and time and time again. Because one, one of the dangers we feel when we confess it is what, what's God going to think about me when I actually tell Him what I'm really like? I reckon God's going to treat us the way David's dad did when Dave came clean with all his stuff. He sat with him for hours in tears and he just let him come clean. He didn't kick him out, didn't send him away, didn't reject him as a son. And the psalmist says this, I cried out to the Lord in their trouble and what? He saved them from his distress. It's a little thing we call the grace of God. It's, It's everywhere through Scripture. Right, but when God says, when it says that in the midst of their own mess, God saved them from their distress. God didn't save them from something he created. God saved them from something that they created. But it says that God saved them from their distress. And the grace of God is so incredible because it says this. 
I just realised we've got our great sixes in today, taking notes. You write this one down, guys. You can talk about this in life group, right? The grace of God is this, that no matter what we do, God loves us. God will forgive us. And God will transform us. In the midst, you're trying to, what would you say again? God loves us. God forgives us. God will transform us. Hey, these guys are doing better than the rest of you, taking notes, hey? Our great six has joined us today as part of it. They're going to be sitting with us all year next year, so they're here taking notes on my sermon. I hope it's a good one, guys. Jake will give a report back. That's the grace of God. That if we get to our end point and we go, this is as bad as it gets, look at the mess I've created trying to do life my way, trying to tell God that I know better than Him. Well, this, this is not the life that I'd imagined for myself. It's not the flourishing life. And so when we come to God and we own our stuff, guess what the Bible tells us that God always does? He forgives us and He lets us start again. He gives us a blank slate. He lets us start again and He starts to transform us. So they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, confession, and He saved them from their distress, grace. He sent out His Word and He healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let us give thanks to the Lord for His unfailing love and His wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of His works with songs of joy. So it starts with confession. It brings about grace. And the final roadmap to healing comes from realignment. He sent out His Word and healed them. The Word of God is a gift to us because God has not made Himself difficult to be found. He he actually clothed Himself in human flesh and blood and walked amongst us in the person Jesus and showed us what God looks like in the flesh. If you don't know what God's like, read the stories of Jesus. How did He talk to people? How did He treat people? How did He deal with people when they were found in the midst of their sin? That is what God is like. But the Word of God is our gift because God is not difficult to be found. He actually gives us a roadmap to success. He actually says, I'll tell you what it looks like to live the flourishing right. I'll paint the boundaries for you. Now, some of those are going to be so countercultural that you're going to have to fight hard against it. But I'm going to tell you that it's so much better to be generous and to give than it is to receive. And it's going to take you a while to get used to that because you've got a culture that says, just gather more to yourself. I'm going to teach you the way to the flourishing life is actually give more away to others. But guess what? When you live according to my plan, this is what life will look like. God's given us in His Word a picture of what the flourishing life looks like. And there's pages of this that are really hard to read, but there's, there's other things that just jump off the pages and go, that is God's intent. You know, some of us right now need to get back into this space. See, the final thing the psalmist says is confess, experience God's grace, and then realign ourselves to God's Word. And the Word of God was never something that was about diminishing life. It was always about giving life. I had the band to come and join me. The Word of God was not about diminishing life. It was always about giving life. The psalmist and some of the psalmists 
fell in love with the Word of God because they realised when they let it soak into their spirit, when they read it and they absorbed it and they understood the heart and the mind of God and they started to align their life to the ways of God, when they started doing relationships the way that God told them to do relationships and when they started being generous the way that God told them to be generous and when they started treating their neighbour the way that God told them to treat their neighbour and when they started turning away from their own self-interest and looked to the self-interest of others before themselves. And when they started to put God first in all things, when they started to absorb the Word of God, they started to flourish. Some of us say with our mouth that we're a follower of Jesus, but we have no idea what it actually means. God's given you a gift. Absorb this book. I don't know if it's a book or a movie or a podcast, but so someone wrote something once called Eat the Book. It's kind of the picture I want to give you today. Absorb it. Let its words become your life. Let its, let its instructions become your roadmap to the flourishing life. The psalmist never talks about the Word as something that is just a heavy burden that we carry. Listen to what the psalmist says, Psalm 119. Never take your word of truth from my mouth. For I've put my hope in your laws. I'll always obey your law forever and ever. I will walk about what? Because of the law of God? In freedom. For I've sought out your precepts. I will speak of your statutes before kings and will not be put to shame. For I delight in your commands because I love them. I reach out for your commands, which I love, that I may meditate on your decrees. The psalmist understands that when they start to absorb the Word of God, life flourishes. If I'm going to sum up the sermon today, really simply it's this. Many of us choose to tell God that we know better. That we don't need His way, we don't need His way of doing things, we don't need Him to tell us the way we should live our life. And we don't even know it, but we've signed up for a diminished existence. A life that's never fully flourished. The invitation is to put our hope and our trust in the things of God. To test Him at His Word. And to live and to experience life as it was always intended to be. To come back to the very one that created you, that understood how you were knitted together, that understood the way that you function best, that understood the things that bring you life, that understands the things that bring you freedom, to understand what it means to love and to be experienced love and to give love. And that's the life that God designed and intended for you. If you've ever been sold a life that says God actually just wants to restrict your life, you've been sold the wrong life. Because the Word of God paints a picture of those that put their hope and trust in the things of God will flourish. 1 final story. The book of Daniel. Old Testament book. Read the first couple of chapters there. A great story and really interesting and then it gets a bit weird. You've got to work a bit harder in the back half of Daniel because it goes into prophecy and apocalyptic language. But the first couple of chapters just tell the story of Daniel and his three friends. Daniel chapter 1 tells us the story of how Daniel and his three friends who had 
Hebrew names, but were given the names of the culture that they were now being embraced into. People of Babylon, see, they were taken away from their world and they were placed into a foreign culture. But these young guys were impressive. They were impressive in, in their intellect and their physique and they were noticed amongst the crowd. And so they were called out and they were taken to the King's royal court. And it said that the King decided to give the best of himself to them. And so the King started to organise their eating plan because he was going to train them and he was going to get them healthy and get them strong. And so Daniel and his three friends are told that the King's even organised their food. The King's taken that much interest in him. But Daniel and his friends say, no, 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 no. We, we, we don't eat your food. You see, God's given us a roadmap. We want to stick with God, the, the God that we serve, the God that we love, the God that we know. Let us just eat the food that He's told us to eat. We just want water and vegetables. Man, I, I would have struggled to be godly in that moment. But just let us eat water and vegetables. We don't need the King's food. Just let us eat water and vegetables. And, and the attendant that liked Daniel and his friends said, well, I'm really scared because the, the King's actually said that this is what you should eat. He said, just, just give us a bit of time. Give us a couple of weeks. Come back in a couple of weeks and see if living God's way is actually gonna work for us. So the attendant goes away and he comes back and a few weeks later, what he finds is that Daniel and his friends are flourishing. They're living God's way and guess what? They're flourishing. They're healthy, they're fit, they're attentive. They actually look healthier than all the ones that ate the food of the king. And so the attendant said, okay, we'll scrap the king's diet. We're all putting you on Daniel's diet. It didn't make any sense. But Daniel and his friends made a stand in that moment and they said, you know what? We believe that the God that we serve wants us to flourish. And so while ever we stay true to His commands and live life the way that He called us to live, even if it makes no sense in the culture of which we're a part, you watch what happens when we do. There's things that God's gonna call you to do that are gonna make no sense in the culture of which we're a part. But I send you out with this challenge. Do the things that God says and see if life doesn't flourish because of it. God, I wanna thank You today for Your Word. I wanna thank You that in it is the roadmap for life, the roadmap for freedom, the roadmap to help us flourish. God, and in the midst of this world in which we live, even when we live Your way, we will experience pain and grief and sometimes the worst of the world. But God, when we live true to Your way, we know that in who we were created to be, we flourish in the things of God. Would You give us the courage, Lord, even when it flies in the face of the culture we live, to choose Your ways, and Your will and Your purposes over our own. May we have the courage to take You at Your Word, Lord, and see what happens. God, I want to pray for those of us here today that might be struggling right now, Lord, because they've given up on Your way of rest and they've decided that they've got a better way of doing it. God, would You realign that in their life? God, I pray for those today that, Lord, have bought wholeheartedly into the narrative that says, put 
themselves first and look after themselves and then if there's a bit left over in a few years' time, maybe they'll help someone else out. God, I pray for the courage to, to live out a new form of generosity that looks for ways to be generous, to, to feed the poor, to build your kingdom. God, to help those in need, to put others first. God, for, for those that are here and, and are deciding in their relationships and their expression of sex, God, to do things their own way and, and, and may not even have the recognition of the damage that that might do. God, I wanna pray they would have the courage to take you at your word and to choose to live a life that will cause them to flourish. Jesus, for every other example you could give today, God, may your word cut deep this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.